This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for October 27, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Taylor Cock, filling in for Andrew Gruen. On today's show, we get ready for the pre-BlizzCon week of championships across StarCraft, Heroes of the Storm, and Hearthstone. But first, we have to talk about the inevitable crushing of European dreams that happened in Brussels this week as the Koo Tigers and SK Telecom advanced to the finals over Fnatic and Origin, respectively. Uh, Taylor, let's start with the SK matchup, because I think this outcome was mostly expected. Uh, did we see anything out of the SK Origin series that surprised you at all? That's what's kind of scary about that. Not really. Um, because obviously SKT has been running this two-mid uh, method with, with both Faker and Easyhoon sort of splitting games throughout the tournament. What that results in is neither of those players really has to show anything, particularly because they keep winning and are playing fewer games because of that uh, that dominance. So really what we saw this week was just SKT playing to their core strengths. You know, when they have Easyhoon in, uh, they play Azir. He plays, uh, you know, these control mages. And when Faker's in, he's really just kind of played Rise. Like, I mean, it, it they haven't shown any exciting new strategies at all, uh, which is very interesting going into the finals. Let's talk a little bit about the the two mid uh, strategy, as it were, because it's something that puzzled me a little bit. And actually, I remember back at uh, back at MSI, there was some conversation even that the strategy itself, the existence of the strategy, the fact that SK Telecom was alternating the player uh, playing the playing the mid lane between games, uh, that that itself reflected a certain lack of confidence in Faker. Uh, hmm. and, and that maybe there was a little suggestion that, you know, something wasn't gelling around him correctly or, or maybe, you know, any, like, any great player, there's always this conversation that starts about when that player's time will be done. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, so I, I'm curious a, a little bit about what, where, where the strategy comes from and uh, how it's become sort of, it, it's really unusual in, in yeah. League of Legends to see a team run this way. So why is it working and, and have you been able to figure out like the theory behind it? Uh, yeah, it, well, it, it's it's largely because they are two very, very different players. Uh, Faker is obviously known for his high mechanics, uh, his incredible playmaking skills. Easyhoon really sort of is able to sit back with these control mages, your Azirs, your Victors, uh, and play the lane slowly and sort of become this incredible team fighter later in the game. So it allows SKT to play a more relaxed style, uh, which for against some teams is very, very effective, like Fnatic, for example. Whereas if they want to go for a more aggressive, more playmaking style, they can put in Faker. And... That's really the core difference between those two, and it just, yeah, like I said, it just allows them to play two very distinct, different styles. That's interesting, because I think a lot of times the conversation around, like, League of Legends team is that uh, they need to be more aggressive, right? Like, aggression's sometimes treated as this, like, universal good, and it's only wrong if you screw it up, right? Sure, yeah. But, like, going out there, being proactive, uh, getting picks, getting kills, that's always a good thing, uh, so long as you turn it into objective control and, uh, and, and run the table. Uh, so why does a... Why does a slightly more passive, more control uh, type mid laner end up playing to your advantage? Why? Why does? Why does flying in the face of the conventional wisdom about like what a what a really elite League of Legends team looks like? Uh, why does that work so well for for SK? 
Well, I think it's sort of a difference between the Western or Chinese style of League of Legends and then the Korean style of League of Legends. Uh, SKT is really known for their ability to play perfectly. Like they, they'll they'll sit back and they'll look for their opponents to make mistakes, uh, which is again passive. Uh, but what it does is it allows them to sit back and look for the perfect opportunity to go aggressive. Uh, so this sort of it's it's a deceptive passivity uh, when they're playing with Easy Hoon. Because they're, they're just their their goal is to frustrate their opponents into making an unforced error, uh, which happens a lot. Uh, League of Legend, no League of Legends team is perfect, except for maybe SKT. Uh, but they they just sort of sit back and yeah, they they look for these perfect moments to find that fight that is just going to win them the game. So one thing I did see coming out of this coming out of this series is that um. <laughs> I guess this is maybe damning with faint praise, but uh, you know it could have gone a lot worse for Origin, sure, yeah. right? Like, uh, and and we have seen that we we have seen SK just completely undress teams uh, before, and, and I'm curious, like, if you're Origin or an Origin fan, what did you see that you liked, and uh, what do you have to build on uh, for the future? Well, I mean, it's I think it's really important to remember that this team has only been on the professional circuit for six months. Um, they are, they are, they they are a team that was able to advance past the Challenger series and into the LCS in, during the summer split, and then managed to make it to Worlds, and then managed to make it to the semifinals, which is a huge, huge, massive accomplishment. And uh, I saw their AD carry sort of come into his own. Niels, who's this very young, he's seventeen, uh, he's a brand new to the professional scene and i he he played up to the level of these you know elite 80 carries at the, at the tournament and i think next next year it's going to be really interesting to watch what their bottom lane can do because if neil's only gets better like it seems like he's been able to so far this season he's going to become an absolute monster next split but isn't it also like a little bit just a little bit deceptive to say like this is such a new team because like Yes, it's a new team, but the people on it have been around for a. With the exception of Niels, the people around it mm-hmm. are, uh, you know, really veterans, uh, and, and in fact, are, are some of the oldest and most established names in the league. Of course, yeah. Well, of course, there's st- still there. You know, with a new team comes all the problems with the new infrastructure, uh, new ability to you know find out find their personality within their team um and obviously they they took a they took a, these players took a break for half a year from playing professionally sure they were playing in the amateur scene but it's not the same thing at all um amazing took an even longer break yeah, and amazing yeah. Uh, amazing yeah he took a i think amazing took a year off i don't think he played in the summer split last last year i could be wrong about that um but yeah so i mean it it is yeah, it's a little deceptive, but I think it is it is very interesting to see that this is a, such a, a new team that's doing so well. So turning our attention to uh the the coup versus Fnatic series, um you know, obviously Fnatic were were sort of the standard bearers for for Western League this mm-hmm. year and and European League. And I am curious uh whether or not you felt like they were actually the favorites heading into this because the level of disappointment 
uh, obviously, was as if it was almost expected that that Fnatic could get past this. But you're still going up against a, a really good Korean team, and I guess I'm, I'm I'm curious separating separating the 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 hype that all Korean teams carry with them and the hype that was around Fnatic. Uh, what what were reasonable expectations coming coming into this? I actually thought. I was fairly certain that Koo was going to take this series. Uh, just watching their games, uh, I felt like that Fnatic did not have the same level of late game shot calling that Koo has, and they weren't able to shut down games fast enough in order to make that irrelevant. Um, but I know that yeah, there was a lot of hype around Fnatic coming into this match. Um, I I figured Fnatic would would lose three uh, two. That was sort of my thought. Obviously, they lost three zero. I think that's also that score is a little deceptive. I I thought the games were a lot closer than that. Uh, I thought, especially the first, and to some degree, the second game. Um, but no, I, I'm not. I'm not sure it was really an upset. I'm, I'm not convinced that Koo was a team that was going to be beatable by any Western standards. Okay, so when you look at how those how those games went. Where did things begin to go wrong for Fnatic? Because, like you said, those games were not; those weren't routes. It wasn't like just a three-zero like slaughter. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, in each of those games, there you know, if you're a Fnatic fan, like they were they were holding their own pretty well in lanes. Like it, yeah. you know, it wasn't like the it wasn't like the map was tilting to one side or the other. Uh, so where did where did it begin to begin to fall apart for Fnatic? Well, I mean, this is sort of the classic problem with western league is and you know where people are starting to say that you know the west is starting to catch up uh is individually Fnatic is filled with incredible players i mean think about you know Yahuni in the top lane who to some degree got exposed this tournament but you know he played very well uh Febiven in the mid lane is is becoming one of the premier mid laners in the world uh you got your bot lane of reckless and yellow are very incredible incredible players uh, the problem comes is when you get into this sort of these late game situations, these late game team fights, uh, where they're just not, they're just not as crisp and they're not as perfectly timed as as these Korean players who have you know these, this immense amount of coaching, this immense amount of infrastructure behind them. They just they don't have the same level of game knowledge that is necessary to uh, to beat these elite Korean squads. See, and and that's so strange, like, and, and this is the funny thing about Worlds, right, is that context changes so completely once Worlds starts, mm-hmm. because watching Fnatic over the course of the season, uh, a lot of times the, the, you know, for Fnatic, it was if they could get control of the match and come into the late game in a strong position, uh, when it starts to come down to fighting... Uh, Fnatic were really good at that. That's where they really excelled. They were they were they were a brilliant fighting team, uh, and and so I, like what what changes between like did, did they just did they just run did they just run into a team that's, that's better at that than than they are? So it's just like it canceled. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the case. I think Ku is one of the Ku is one of the all time great team fighting teams. Uh, their early game is relatively weak, but once they get into that late game situation. They are kind of unbelievable. They they can win fights that they have absolutely no business winning. Uh, they they their target priority is impeccable. Their ability to peel for their AD carry is is crazy. Uh, they're they're just an, an elite team fighting team, and that's really just what how they win games, and it's how they've always won games this entire season. So it's it's yeah, it's just fanatic. They just ran into somebody who's better at their own game than they are, uh, and. 
you know what? That's how the game goes. I mean, the, the, that's that's an acceptable way to lose. And I think that Fnatic uh, really put up a good fight, but they they just weren't quite at the same level. Uh, speaking of sort of the teams being at a certain level, now when you look at Koo versus SK, like are Koo on on SK's level? Because certainly, like just looking at the two teams, SK is of course the the very corporate team, right? Like they're very they're very New York Yankees, right? Like they might as well be wearing pinstripes. Uh, they, they've got the they've got the rich corporate sponsorship. Their facilities and regimen are are legendary. Uh, hell, they can run two different rosters simultaneously, basically depending yeah. <laughs> on uh, depending on what kind of strategy they want to run in a game. And on the other hand, you've got Koo, uh, who like, like tell, us, tell us a little little bit about them, because my sense generally is that uh, by the standards of Korean esports and, and, and sort of KESPA-type teams, uh, Koo don't quite fit that same corporate mold. No, they, uh, Koo is sort of the indie band of the, of, the, uh, of the Korean League of Legends scene. They're, they're not really, they're not actually, they're not a part of the KESPA organization at all. They're, they are sort of this, this rogue agent that was... It was started by a Chinese company. Um, I'm, I'm spacing on what the, what the name of the company is, but I guess it's sort of unimportant. Uh, and they picked up these players from uh, the Najin organization and started this new team. And yeah, the, historically they've been good, but sort of lost when it counted. You know, of course, historic by historically, I mean they've been in the league for one year, so they're not a terribly old team. And yeah, so they they they've sort of really made a name for themselves by being this independent organization that doesn't really play by the same rules as the rest of the Korean league. It's they're a very fascinating team to watch in that regard because they are so young and so new and uh they don't obviously don't have the same infrastructure as something like SKT. So what do, what do you think the what do you think the strength is then in in a case of in in the case of Koo because you know with um with a team like SK, or or like with the old Samsung organization, there was there was always sort of time and luxury to to put the pieces together, right? Especially back when they were running sort of A team A teams and B teams, and so you could sort of you know play play a you could sort of play chess with these players and and, and sort of craft the perfect team and just train train them into the ground. Uh, Koo doesn't have Koo doesn't have that luxury, so. What's what's sort of been the, been the secret for them uh, and and sort of this incredible run? I mean, it helps that they have arguably the best top laner in the world in Smeb, um, especially in this meta uh, where he, Smeb is a, a carry top laner. He plays very damage heavy uh, tops, and this happens to be the, the era of the carry top. Um, and Gorilla in the bot lane is obviously an, an incredible support, uh, incredible peeling support for Prey and to some degree Smeb, uh, Kuro as well. Uh, so it, 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 they sort of, I, uh, my theory about Koo is they've always been a good team, but this is the meta for them. This is the perfect meta for them to really make a name for themselves and really show up uh, as an elite level team. Do you think they will match up well with SK? I my prediction is three one SK T uh, just because I think that they I think Ku can win a game provided that Smeb does really well which is a very very tall order against Marin 
I think that's going to be the matchup to watch uh, between these two squads. They are two incredible top laners. They're probably the two best top laners at the tournament, uh, except for maybe someday, maybe. Uh, and I, I, I think that it's going to really hinge on that. It's going to really hinge on who comes out of top lane ahead. If one, if one player is snowballing, if, if I think if Smev gains a small lead and then they go into the late game, it's probably not going to matter. I think SKT is probably going to just, just stomp them out. Uh, it, it's, it's going to be really interesting to watch and see what happens in, 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 in this series. So coming to the end of sort of the European showing in Worlds, uh, you know, the Fnatic's coach, I know him by Delor, uh, it's it's Luis Petit, uh, uh, Petit Sevilla, I want to say is, is his actual name. Uh, he was saying that in, in his view, Fnatic were maybe overprepared. Uh, they'd perhaps overtrained uh, for, for the semifinals match. But I'm a little, I, I'm wondering now, League fans around the world are very used to this story. We've we've all seen this before. And it sort of seems like each region is trying to figure out a way how to how to sort of break past the the uh the, the Korean ceiling as it were. Uh and so this year we we saw China's attempt at Nancer and uh that absolutely didn't work. Uh but with Fnatic, we, we, we saw an attempt at a, a slightly different answer, which is which is fine. Sort of Korean players uh, who are not big names yet, uh, who are sort of ready to hit that pro level and, and become uh, sort of elite rookies in, in the Korean system and sort of import those guys over and then get them, get a really strong European team around them. Uh, and for a while, it seemed like Fnatic really did have the winning formula. They were they completely outclassed uh, the the rest of their competition in EU LCS. And yet, once again, it's another semifinal, uh, and once again, they can't they can't get past it, and and they go out three three uh, zero. For teams outside Korea, is there now is there a reasonable path forward to get past this level of achievement because? To, to to my way of thinking, to what I'm saying is that, you know, and this is something Andrew says all the time, you're you're kind of only as good as the people you play. And you're you're sort of capped by the level of competition that you're encountering uh in your league. And for a lot of these teams, for for a team like Fnatic, even if they boot camp in Korea, even if they know what standard they have to meet uh at the end of the year, if you're spending, you know, six, eight months out of the year competing in Europe uh, is that just kind of your competitive disadvantage that you're not going to be able to get able to overcome? I think, yeah, I think so. Uh, unfortunately, that's that may be the case. Uh, you know, this is yeah, this is a StarCraft situation. You're just not competing at the same level as these elite players, uh, and you're you. I mean, on top of that, you just don't have the same level of infrastructure behind you. You don't have the same level of support, uh, so it, it does become. Yeah, the sort of chicken and the egg situation. How do you become better than Korea without going to Korea and competing there? Uh, unfortunately, it ca- sort of came out this week. Uh, maybe unfortunately, but uh, it did come out this week that it's actually impossible for a a outside, you know, let's use Korean terminology, a foreign team to go to Korea and go to and compete in in the uh, LCK without some significant finagling. Um, 
so it, it's going to be really, really tough to, for these Western teams to compete at the same level of Korea because they cannot play at the same level as they are in their home regions. Uh, so it, it's going to be... What's going to have to happen is every single team in the Western world of League of Legends is going to have to improve their infrastructure to the same level as Korea. Which might be impossible. Uh, yeah. So it's, 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 that is really the the key here is is they don't have yeah they just don't have the same level of support so they need to figure out a way to get to get there um we'll see if that happens uh it's gonna be tough but that's really the only way they're ever gonna be able to catch up to korea in my opinion uh so this weekend we've got the uh we we have the league of legends world championship but we also have uh the start of sort of blizzcon pre-week uh, as the as the Blizzard championships get rolling, and uh, so so Taylor, what are, what are you going to be watching closely uh, out of out of Blizzard pre week? Well, I'm a big Hearthstone guy, so I think I'm I'm paying a lot of attention to Hearthstone right now. Uh, they just you know they just all everyone is ready and ready to go. Uh, all everyone is qualified for Hearthstone. They they announced this like a week ago. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really interested in in following what happens in Hearthstone and sort of seeing if this tournament will take Hearthstone to the next level in terms of esports. Okay, so this is something that I've been uh, I, I've sort of want, been wanting to talk over with someone uh, because one of the, like, we have a lot of people request more Hearthstone coverage on the show, and uh, part of it is just like there's a limited amount of time each show, and admittedly, Andrew and I tend to focus on stuff we're a little bit more passionate about. Uh, so for me, that's sure, for me yeah. that's League. Uh, for for him, that's Dota, and for both of us, that's that that's StarCraft. Uh, but with with Hearthstone, my my stumbling point is that it may be a fine competitive game. But I feel like as a spectator experience, it's uh, just a little less compelling for me uh, sitting there watching people play Hearthstone than it is watching people play sort of a a more reflex and uh, like skill based, uh, physical skill, a dexterity based uh, game like like Starcraft, like like a MOBA. And, and I'm curious, you know, f- for you, what's the uh, what, what's the draw to Hearthstone? What, what what's the what's the appeal? I mean, for for me, it's a lot. I, I have a background in Magic the Gathering. I was a competitive player in Magic the Gathering for a very long time, and uh, so I, I really like watching card games. I love I love card games. Uh, so the and I think Hearthstone, in terms of a spectator experience with with card games, is actually it's great. Uh, it has just the perfect level for me. Maybe I wouldn't say perfect. It has a level of randomness that a lot of card games don't have, which is a, a criticism often of the game. But I think it makes for a more exciting spectator experience because there's these crazy moments that happen, you know, that perfect RNG that goes down. And it 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 makes the game kind of more exciting in a way that doesn't really wouldn't really work in any other game. Uh, so I think I really think that it's visually uh, the, the mental fortitude that it takes the the that sort of level of randomness is really what kind of makes the game exciting for me. So when it comes to this particular champion, uh, this, this particular tournament, uh, so this week we, we have the, we have the group stage kicking off and uh, are there any, are, are there any matches in particular uh, that, that you're looking forward to? 
What's well, actually, what's interesting about this tournament? Uh, I'm gonna just take a step back. Yeah, is that there aren't a whole lot of really truly huge names. Uh, I was just noticing that actually, the, the names yeah. I recognize are all the casters. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so like Strife Crow's out. Uh, Raynad's not in there. Uh, it, it's you know, Just Saiyan's not there. Uh, Proto is not going to be there. It, there's all these guys that did not qualify. So it, we're seeing this new generation of players come up. Uh, I mean, obviously Life Coach is there. He's a veteran of the scene. He's been around for a million years. And uh, by a million years, I mean since the game came out a year and a half ago. But uh, <laughs> esports, <laughs> esports, baby. Uh, but yeah, so there are all these new players that are coming up. You know, the, this this new phenom in purple uh, who has been talking trash like crazy. Like he's he's uh, he's this guy who has declared that you know if it weren't for the randomness of the game, uh, he would be the best player in the world. There was there was the so he's sort of this new trash talking this new generation of, of players. Uh, you got you got Fizz out of Europe. He's he's really a really interesting player, um, just for his sort of aggressive style. Uh, the, the, these are that's why I'm interested in this tournament. I think because I I don't know a lot of these players terribly well, and I don't think most of the scene does. So it, it's going to be really really interesting to see what happens as as they sort of establish themselves as professional players. When we're talking about sort of a generational shift in in a game like Hearthstone. You know, obviously, like, like one of the things that drives that in a game like StarCraft is just aging, uh, reflexes, uh, some of the, uh, re- you know, repetitive stress issues that crop up for, for veteran players. Uh, but obviously in Hearthstone, that's, that's not what's driving it. What do you, what do you see uh, changing in, in Hearthstone? Like, what, what do the, the up-and-comers uh, have going for them that sort of the, 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 the veterans who who've sort of created the uh, dominant strategies in, in Hearthstone, what, what does the new generation have? I think a lot of them are, from what I can tell, a lot of them are more mid-range control players, uh, which has traditionally not... I mean, it has been a strong, a strong meta, but I, I think that, you know, a lot of these veteran players, your rain ads, uh, you know, the, these guys that have been around for a while are all sort of aggro players. You know, Raynad famously invented Zoo Warlock, uh, which is the, sort of, the, which was the dominant deck for a very long time. Um, he's one of the original face hunter players, uh, so yeah, these older guys are very very aggro. Whereas the current meta in Hearthstone is sort of yeah mid range to control. Um, so it's it's a slower game now. So a lot of these older players uh, have found themselves not necessarily keeping up. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's that's a large a large part of what happened in, in this week's or yeah this week's or last few months I should say uh, of players coming up. Uh, so it, it's, I do think it's it's just a difference in playstyle. It's like these these younger these younger players ha- have this this slower paced style. I mean that's why Life Coach made it right, like because he's the classic slow playstyle. Uh, and so yeah, I, I really think that's kind of what it is right now. Of course, it could also have just been a massive fluke. Um, sometimes these things happen. Players drop out for a variety of reasons and maybe all of the all of the the veterans dropped out for various reasons and that's why we have this new generation it's really hard to say in card games because yeah like you said it it is so much less space around 
pure mechanical skill and reflexes. Uh, so yeah, it, it really could be. It's it's really hard to say, but uh, I think that's kind of what happened in a in a vague sense of the word. So uh, I know you're primarily a league guy, but but I have to ask mm-hmm. uh, you you have you gotten into uh, heroes at all? A little bit here and there. Uh, I haven't really been because I don't enjoy playing the game as much <laughs> i don't end up watching it a whole lot of it mm-hmm. uh so i i think it's an interesting game and i think blizzard is doing a lot to support it but i i'm i am admittedly not the most familiar at it yeah yeah it's definitely uh it's something that i've been getting into because I, I do enjoy playing it a little bit it does a lot of things that i i sort of uh wish i saw in other mobas i think the the fact that it's that each map is different is kind of a huge plus for me, uh, so that there, there's a little more variety. Uh, but I, I'm just really curious what we're going to see this week with, uh, you know, as, as the sort. This is the first real uh, like Heroes World Championship that that we're going to have. Like this is, uh, you know, last year there, there was a BlizzCon tournament, but it was very small, very informal. Uh, and the level of competition was was just not there yet. And this year, you you have a true international cast uh, showing up, and and a lot of teams that have already sort of spent a whole year establishing themselves. And so, uh, you know, I'm I'm very interested to see sort of what competitive heroes is going to look like its first time on a big stage, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think it's going to be yeah, because they like famously they've sort of had these sort of weird offshoot tournaments, but haven't really had this massive uh, push behind it that at the same level that's going to be at at, Blizz, at the World Championship this year round. Yeah, and, uh, you know, obviously there's some teams like, uh, you know, like Cloud9, for instance, uh, that are, you know, for, to an extent, their, their appearance here is a bit of a surprise at all uh, because they spent a lot of this year, uh, sort of struggling to get the better of, uh, team tempo storm. And, uh, you know, it was only in the, in sort of the late stages of the year and at the, at the qualifier that cloud nine were able to sort of turn it on and, and advance, uh, to, to the, to the world championships. So it'll be very interesting to see how, how, you know, sort of the, the, the top seeds in both groups, uh, cloud nine and, uh, team DK, uh, from Korea, uh, they're both kind of the dark horses. They're 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 occupying slots that were really, I think, sort of meant for other people. Like in terms <laughs> of expectations, like Team DK, uh, kind of dethroned uh, MVP, who, who've who've looked mm-hmm. really good uh, at Heroes so far, at least. Uh, but but they uh, sort of stumbled at the finish line, uh, as did Tempo Storm. So it'll be very interesting to see how these teams sort of match up with uh, you know sort of the teams coming out of Europe and uh and the rest of the world so that's one thing that we're definitely looking forward to and and actually that that section of the tournament begins uh very early this week uh the the group stages begin october 28th uh so that's something you'll probably be able to watch uh you know even right after you you listen to this podcast i I think what's really interesting about this tournament too is you're starting to see all of these you know established esports organizations really committing to heroes um you know, you got your your Navi's in there. Uh, Temple Storm, to some degree, is established. You got your Cloud Nine, your Dignitas, but they're also going up against these organizations that aren't super well known. Uh, you know, you got yeah, your Braveheart. Uh, t- uh, team DK is a Dota league, uh, but like YL, I don't I don't know who Team YL is. I don't know where this team came from. Um, 
or if you know if this is an organization that has uh, anything else going on for them. Um, so I think that's really interesting and cool. Like you know that this new game is bringing up these newer organizations to see if if they can compete on the on this international stage. So Rob, going into the the World Championship at Blizzard, we got to talk about StarCraft Two. Do we ever? How do you feel about this idea that there is like a lack of a group stage? It seems kind of insane. How do they even seed these these players into into this enormous bracket? Oh man, you've you've touched on a real sore spot with uh, <laughs> with, with StarCraft esports. Uh, okay, so in, in some ways, like the StarCraft World Championship is itself the product of various like legacy compromises that go back to uh, sort of old school Blizzard esports and. One of the things they would do was that the old Battle.net World Championships were all these one-weekend tournaments. So you had to move things through very, very quickly. And, and StarCraft was the crown jewel. That was the main attraction of these things. Uh, that may still be the case, though Hearthstone and Heroes, I think, are coming on very quickly. And I suspect Hearthstone's going to uh, crazy views. But so the issue is that the StarCraft World Championship was always sort of set up for a format that moved at a very quick pace and also created maximum drama. Uh, but the issue now is that some of the reasons for that format aren't there anymore. Like you're starting the tournament a week early. Like you can, like you can choose how to, how to run this tournament now and choose from any format. And they still have decided not to do the, uh, do, do, do a group stage. And so to your question, the way they seed these guys is um, they take the WCS point system, where points are accrued from the WCS uh, affiliated leagues, so GSL, uh, Star League, uh, WCS itself, but then also events like DreamHack uh, and IEM also contribute WCS points, uh, so players who do very well at those events also uh, accrue WCS points. And then they just sort of rank it uh, based on who has the most WCS points, which has some weird side effects because I say it seems problematic. It's super problematic because obviously, like a lot of your truly like great Korean players aren't competing in a ton of tournaments. You know, they're 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 playing for they're playing for SK, they're playing for KT Rolster, uh, they're playing for Jenner Green Wings, who have other priorities besides just getting their star players uh, WCS points opportunities, and. So you end up with a phenomenon, and it's been particularly bad in the past, it's less bad this year, where you would have players who were just sort of farming the foreign scene and just racking up tons of fairly, you know, easy, uh, you know, top four, uh, top four finishes at these foreign tournaments that would put them on a level, on, on a plane, with guys who've been competing at, like, truly elite Korean tournaments. That's continued somewhat this year. So you end up with with a case where you have players seeded just by just by their WCS points, which creates some creates some mismatches, uh, and it also creates some I think maybe almost unfair disappointing matchups, like the fact that the one uh, the one foreign player at this tournament, uh, Lilbo, who we talked about a few weeks ago on the show when he uh, when he when he won uh, the WCS season finale, he's going up against the defending championship uh, the the defending champion Life, and you know, I mean, I wish him all the best, and maybe he can pull some Protoss magic out of a hat, but he's going up against maybe the greatest StarCraft player of his generation, and life yeah. always brings the big tournaments. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I even as a guy who follows StarCraft casually, I know life as one of the gods. I mean, like, he's one of the greatest players of all time. And that seems, it seems a little rough for for our, our lone foreigner here. Yeah, and I, but I think, you know, the, even the bigger issue is that the nice thing about a group stage is it can kind of stabilize outcomes a little bit and make sure that you have really... Uh, really good players advancing in the next in, into the next uh, tier, and theoretically at least get slightly better quarterfinals and and better semifinals. Uh, whereas going these single elimination brackets can just make things a little bit fluky, and uh, create a little bit of a bit of a bloodbath. Uh, so you know I I question to an extent the the way Blizzard has chosen to format this StarCraft tournament. On the other hand, though. There's still there's still a lot of really good best of fives uh, coming up at this tournament that that I that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, who in particular are you looking forward to? Like what 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 are the premier matchups you would say in round one? Oh boy. Uh, so I guess the um <laughs> the Schadenfreude part of me uh, <laughs> is really looking forward to Parting versus SOS, and okay. which is really it says something that I'm actually looking forward to a PvP, but. <laughs> But Parting and SOS are both such... If two Protoss players deserve each other, it's these guys. <laughs> uh, because they are both, like, have a reputation for being the cheesiest, most mind-gamey players out there in StarCraft. And to a degree, Parting was sort of the original... Uh, the, the the original sort of cheese master uh, when, it, when it came to Protoss. And SOS is, has sort of built on that. And, and he sort of psychologically skewers his opponents. So it'll be very interesting to see how these guys play each other. Because on the one hand, they always have to keep an eye out for the fact... That something really stupid and disrespectful <laughs> could be about to happen at any moment. Sure, yeah. But at the same time, you also need to prepare for the fact that you might find yourself in just an insane macro game uh, with one of the best players, uh, you know, around right now. And so it's this real interesting tension uh, between at any moment one of these guys could find a way to sort of steal a game from the other, but that can also cancel out. And then you'll see some real Protoss fireworks. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I am really curious to see how uh, Buell uh, does against Classic uh, this th this time out. Uh, and, and these best of fives are all going to be happening uh, this Sunday. But, you know, obviously like, we've been following Buell really closely on on this uh, on the show for the last few weeks because he's been he's been a finalist in like the two major Korean uh, championships uh, here at the end of the season. So you know, again, like Buell is Buell's in this interesting position where, like, you know, it's it's gambler's fallacy. This guy is due. He's he's an amazing serve <laughs> player, and he should have a championship by now. Uh, and you know, maybe this format's maybe this format's just right to get him there. So that's interesting. You started talking about uh, the fact that he's this amazing Zerg player, but I can't help but notice that there are only four Zergs at this tournament. Uh, there's five Terrans and seven Protoss. I mean, really, the stacks, the odds are kind of sort of stacked against him here. I mean, like he's going to have to make it through a lot of. Likely, he's going to make it through a lot of good Protoss players. I mean, is that something that he's able to do at this point? Uh, yeah, it's definitely something that we saw a little bit during. Uh, we we saw a little bit during his his performances in uh, Star League and uh, GSL. Most recently, I don't think I don't think the Protoss matchup is as bad as it has been historically. 
Uh, I don't, so I don't feel like necessarily Zerg are, uh, Zerg are at a major disadvantage when it, when it comes to Protoss. Uh, but the other interesting thing is balance has changed so much over the course of this season that to a degree, I, I think the breakdown of, of this tournament itself is a little bit deceptive. Uh, for instance, there's, there's a fair number of Terrans, uh, here, but, but I feel like, uh, some of these Terrans maybe kind of got off to a good start, but I will be very, <laughs> I will be very surprised if they're able to sustain it. Uh, for instance, like you got Maru and Polt, uh, competing who, uh, you know, both great Terran players, uh, and, and both players, I, I sadly expect to do very little at this tournament. So I, I, I think, uh, I think while Protoss tend to do well, especially in volatile formats like this, where again, the ability to sort of cheese and steal a match uh, automatically gives you sort a little bit of an advantage. I don't think it's a decisive one. So let's 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 go this way. Looking at the two sides of the bracket, uh, who do you expect the finals the finalists to be? I mean, is it going to be a PvP? Is it going to be somebody going to pull something out? Uh, what what do you expect to come out of these brackets? Uh, hmm. Okay, so my my feeling my feeling is that rain comes out of the uh, bottom half of the bracket uh, because there's a lot of good players down there, but there's not a single one of them I would pick to, to really trump rain. Uh, and, and so if, if rain sort of lives up to the billing, uh, I think, I think he goes all the way. The, the thing I'd watch for is possibly he gets derailed by Hydra, uh, who would be my, my other uh, strong pick in that lower bracket. So I think you get Protoss on the, on, on that side of the bracket because rain is, uh, just one of the all time greats in, in Starcraft. And, and you'd almost extend that to Starcraft one or Starcraft two. Like the guy is just a savant at this, at this brand of RTS and, uh, a true genius at creating uh, sort of novel new builds. He's, he's a real innovator. And then on the other side of things, uh, the other side of the bracket in some ways is much harder to pick and, and maybe a little more interesting because yeah, it seems like a mess. Yeah. And so like on the one hand, uh, I have seen life sort of show up to these tournaments way too much to ever count them out. Like I don't think his <laughs> performance has been, tremendous of late and i don't think he's necessarily looked all that sharp but i also didn't have him on my short list last year and he <laughs> went on to win the entire thing it's sort of like the ex uh you know world's buff we were talking about the yeah. other week uh you, you you create a high stakes situation life is going to show up uh i think the the other real uh competition up there uh, if not buell would be innovation uh, who's probably the Terran player right now with just the strongest grasp on uh, the map pool, uh, the way to play Terran right now. Uh, he, he plays, he's a very good mech player, and, that's in, and being able to sort of trade efficiently around mech is, is such, a, such an important part of Terran play right now. So I, I think uh, that's, you know, I, that top half of the bracket's almost anyone's game. Uh, my, my feeling is that it's going to be innovation, uh, but so my, my feeling is an innovation versus rain final, but especially when it comes to that top bracket, like literally anything can happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, Taylor, this is, uh, you know, the more we talk about it, the more crazy and stacked this week gets, right? Because we've already got, yeah. we've already got worlds. We've got yep. the pre BlizzCon week. Uh, so I would say like, we're full off any sports, right? We're, we're done. There's no more. There's nothing else yeah, we need to we watch. We can't do anything else. 
my plate is full of just delicious esports goodness. And yeah, Taylor, this week we have a DreamHack Counter-Strike tournament. Inclusion of Poka, I believe is how it's pronounced. But it, it, yeah, and what a what a tournament this is going to be. It's it's extremely exciting to see all these all these squads. I mean, obviously we've had this the this new era of Counter-Strike Global Offensive uh really take off and all these new teams are competing with or these amazing teams are competing with each other constantly which is really awesome but like man there are some teams here it's it's kind of wild yeah and you know to the point about like making predictions this is kind of we're in an era where i think counter-strike has become effectively impossible to predict uh because if you look at sort of the the top seeds the legends at, at at dreamhack Already right there, we, we see a bunch of teams that have basically been trading victories uh, for, mm-hmm. for a good portion of the season. You got Fnatic, you got TSM, you got Envious, uh, you got you know, NIP, Navi. Uh, so, I mean, what's, what's interesting, and you don't see this too often in esports, you, it's very rare you see real parity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's super, it's, it's a bizarre thing to see all these teams just beating each other constantly. Yeah, usually it feels like somebody like has the edge, like there's a certain inevitability that attaches itself to, you know, quote unquote, the best team. Uh, mm-hmm. But at this point, we we really don't have that. And these teams are sort of trading wins. Uh, but the other thing is things are pretty stacked also down to sort of the challenger level uh, where, where you've got Cloud9, CLG, uh, Mouse Esports, uh, but... You know, again, I think being a being an American, I am curious whether or not Cloud9 is going to show up because they haven't lately. They had a really good sort of early summer, but you know, were they a flash in the pan? I'm not entirely convinced they were. I mean, they, they I think they they have a, a quite a few extremely good players. Obviously, you got Freakazoid, nothing, uh, sort of holding down as the rocks of the team. Uh, and they haven't been playing that well recently, but I, I feel like if they are able to show, finally able to show up again, uh, they can really start, you know, taking people out. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be at this. It, it this is sort of for me the testing ground for them. This tournament to see if they are truly a a team that is uh, able to compete at the most elite level. Yeah, and obviously I think this uh, tournament has relevance for the upcoming winter. Uh, sort of season finale late, later this year. Uh, so obviously there's there's a pretty hefty prize pool attached to this tournament, but I think it might even be more consequential in terms of the overall outcome of the uh, DreamHack League of Legends, uh, the, the DreamHack Counter-Strike uh, season. So that is another thing we're going to have to watch this weekend, uh, and it should be some, some truly first-rate play. Uh, and we've got this tournament kicking off on the 28th and the quarterfinals on Halloween the 31st. Uh, so there, there's going to be a lot of really great Counter-Strike to, to watch this weekend. So, uh, you know, this is it. It's it's sort of, this is, this is is this like peak esports for, for 2015, do you think? <laughs> I think so. I think this is sort of the best weekend for esports. If we just, like, maybe get a Dota major in here. Uh, if they could just, like, schedule one real quick, uh, I think we could really really cap this thing off yeah you know they really missed an opportunity with uh w- w- with frankfurt with the frankfurt major uh because then if you if you just could have counter scheduled that uh sort of right into the middle of this week uh i think i think at that point we could have really just uh completely cannibalized esports it would have been great mm-hmm. it would have been the most even twitch viewing experience of all time just every single game getting you know 
Oh, I'd say 50 views. Yeah. You know, you got to sp- really spread it out. Uh, Taylor, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been uh, a pleasure having you back. And you did this real solid. Uh, to our regular listeners may have noticed that uh, Andrew Gruen is not around this week. He had some uh, family matters come up this week at the very last minute. And so we had a bit of an unusual show. And I'm really uh, indebted to you, Taylor, for, for filling in so capably. Of course. Anytime. Uh, I'm glad to be here. And thank you for having me. Uh, so we will be following up on all of these various esports finales and, and series uh, over the coming week. And we will be, ba- we will be back on uh, next week, November 3rd, to talk about uh, you know the past, present, and future of esports. Uh, but that's all we have for this edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. Uh, you can l- learn more about the show and discuss esports with us in the Idle Thumbs community at our website, esports.today. Uh, until next week... For Taylor Cock and Andrew Gruen, I'm Rob Zachney, signing off.